This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, as we continue to offer a week of nothing but comedies, we hear from two guys who in the 40s were the hottest thing going in the field of comedy, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Their patter routine, Who's On First, is one of the best-known comedy routines of all time and set the framework for many of their best-known comedy bits. Now, the team's first-known radio broadcast was on the Kate Smith Hour, February 3rd of 1938. At first, the similarities between their voices made it difficult for radio listeners, as opposed to stage audiences, to tell them apart during their rapid-fire repartee. So as a result, Costello affected a high-pitched, childish voice. In 1940, Universal Studios signed them for a musical, One Night in the Tropics. Cast in supporting roles, they actually stole the show, with several classic routines, including the Who's On First routine. Universal signed them to a two-picture contract, their next film, Buck Privates, in 1941, directed by Arthur Lubin and co-starring the Andrews Sisters, was a massive hit, earning $4 million at the box office and launching Abbott and Costello as stars. Now, let's go back to 1945, who hear what the uh, boys are up to now. The Abbott and Costello Program, brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. See if your throat and your taste don't make Camel a first with you, too. Find out for yourself. Listen to the great rhythms of Will Osborne at his orchestra, the swingy singing of Connie Haynes. And that gallant, chubby little gentleman who, when he walked into Hedy Lamar's dressing room by mistake, politely said... Costello, what? What are you so excited about? What's the matter with you? I don't know, Abbott. I'm all mixed up. In my room, I got a big picture of Lauren Bacall on the ceiling. Yes. And on my dresser, I got a picture of Rita Hayworth. On the walls, I got two pictures of Betty Grable. And under my pillow, I got a picture of Dorothy Lamour in a sarong. And I think I'm going nuts. Why? All night long, I keep dreaming of Gene Autry's horse. <laughs> Look, talk sense, Costello. What were you doing in the courthouse this morning? Oh, I was there to see my Uncle Artie Stebbins get his divorce. Was it an interesting divorce trial? Oh, sure. The judge said, Mr. Stebbins, I'm granting you a divorce, and I'm going to give your wife $35 a week. And what did Artie say to that? He said, that's mighty nice of you, Judge. I'll try to slip her a buck every now and then myself. <laughs> now, Lou, that was ridiculous. Uh, what were the grounds for the divorce? Misrepresentation. 
She said that before they were married, Uncle Artie told her he was well off. Well, was he? He was, but he didn't know it then. <laughs> well, she must have had better grounds than that. What else did she claim? Well, she wanted to get rid of him because she was always getting indifferent. Artie was getting indifferent? Yeah, he was getting in different girls' apartments every night. <laughs> oh, stop that nonsense, please. I'm glad I went to the trial, though, Abbott. I found out what causes 100% of the divorce cases. So you know what causes all the divorces? Yep. What? Marriage? Oh, <laughs> You know, you know nothing about marriage, Costello. Marriage is a great institution. Yeah, but who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> Costello, marriage oh. is wonderful. Yeah, marriage is like a three-ring circus. A three-ring circus? Yep, engagement ring, marriage ring, and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> but how can you Banana! talk... Never mind. <laughs> You know I'm lost already? All right. How can, you, how can you talk like that, Costello? You've never been a husband. In fact, you don't even know what a husband is. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, all right. What is a husband? A husband is what's left of a sweetheart after the nerve has been killed. Oh. <laughs> Costello, you're a dope. But you don't have to worry about marriage. Very few women would marry you. Very few would be enough. Well... <laughs> What happened to that girl you used to go with? Uh, Ruby uh, Poolcue. I thought you two were engaged. We was, Abbott. You were? But I broke it off. I told her to keep the ring. You mean you were willing to lose an expensive diamond engagement ring? That's right. What's a buck and a half to a man with a broken heart? <laughs> Ruby went ahead and she married Stinky Rappaport. Stinky Rappaport? Stinky Rappaport. I gave them a beautiful set of silver. Table silver? No, pocket silver. Four dimes and a quarter. <laughs> well, talk sense, Costello. Why don't you try to meet some nice girl and go steady? Oh, Abbott, I met one last night in the movies, and I took her out. She was an usher. Oh, you mean she's an usherette? What? Usherette. Yeah, she yet, and she drank. <laughs> she ate like a horse. She had her nose bag with her. All right, never mind that. <laughs> you know, we had a wonderful time, Abbott. You did? Then I took her home, and we sat in a parlor. Just the two of us. Oh, it must have been romantic. Romantic. We sat on a sofa, and I read her a love story. Then suddenly she reached over and switched off the light. What did you do? I turned it on again. Who can read in the dark? Oh. <laughs> what a guy. You're in the parlor with a beautiful girl and you read a book. Why don't you take her to a dance? Oh, I'm all through with dances. What do you mean? I took Cleopatra to a dance last night. Cleopatra. Last week. Cleopatra. Yep. You idiot. Cleopatra has been dead for 2,000 years. No wonder she couldn't rumba. Uh, <laughs> Costello. Spelled backwards or something else. All right. <laughs> Look, Costello, why don't you try to make a hit with that little girl my wife introduced to you? Oh, you know, uh, Odisha, yeah, Odisha Sweetwater. Sweetwater? Yeah. I had to give her up, Abbott. Why? Her father didn't like me. Her father wanted you to marry her. I said he didn't like me. Her, <laughs> her father said he'd pay half your expenses if you got married. Yeah, but who's going to pay the other half? Costello, you're always thinking about money. When I, when I got married, I was just a strung, struggling young actor. <laughs> struggling, I will Sometimes get out. Sometimes I get lost. Yes. You don't know where you are. <laughs> well... I was still struggling. Thank you. I'm... And how you were struggling. I struggled. <laughs> I know you struggled, but you didn't get away. Ah, no, Costello. You're an imbecile. You lose all your girls. Look, what happened to your engagement to Tessie Tinfoil? It's broken. Did you break it? Nope. Did she break it? Nope. Then how did it get broken? Well, Tessie told me what her clothes cost, and I told her what my salary was. And when the engagement just, just sort of sagged in the middle and busted by itself. <laughs> Costello. Both of us better get glasses. <laughs> Costello, how did you happen to meet uh, Tessie Tinfoil in the first place? Well, I went down to the bank and drew out my money. Yes. 
There she was. Five minutes later, we were engaged. You asked the girl to marry you, and you only knew her five minutes. That's right. Abbott, you'd be amazed what you can do when you meet somebody if you don't waste time shaking hands. <laughs> Costello. <laughs> Costello, what became of Tessie Tinfoil? Oh, Tessie's an MP in the Navy. An MP in the Navy? What does she do? She keeps the wolves away from the waves. Costello, what? Why aren't you more like your brother Pat? Now, there's a happily married man. Why, I heard Pat's wife say she couldn't wait to hear the patter of little feet around the house. Well, Abbott, for your information, it won't be long now. You mean? Yep. Pat's taken up tap dancing. Oh, Costello, you're hopeless. What's you're... wrong with that? Now, wait a minute. You don't even know how to look at a girl. I don't. Hello? Yes. There is. That's awful. That guy ought to be ashamed of himself. Oh, that's terrible. Goodbye. Who is that? The police department. They're after a peeping Tom who's been looking into the chorus girls' dressing rooms over Errol Carroll's stater from the roof of this building. Boy, I'd hate to be in that guy's shoes when those cops get through with them. Yep. I gotta go now, Abbott. See you later. Wait a minute. Where are you going? I'm gonna sell my binoculars. Get him out of here. <laughs> presents Will Osborne now with an arrangement of a current favorite, Candy. wonderful date for you. My wife fixed it up for you to take our girlfriend out. Emma Fiddlebuster. Emma Fiddlebuster? Mm-hmm. Not me, Abbott. I took that dame to a restaurant once, and on the way out, the manager searched me. Well, Costello, you have an honest face. Why did the manager search you? Well, he took one look at Emma Fiddlebuster, and he said, if you'll walk out of here with her, you're liable to walk out of here with anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how can you say that, Costello? Emma is a blonde, and you'd go out with any blonde. I would not. Name one. Nelson Eddy. Oh. <laughs> Quiet, Costello. Hey, here comes Emma now. Oh, uh, good evening, uh, Miss uh, Fiddlebuster. Hello, Pat. <laughs> I believe you know my partner, Lou Costello. Why, yes. Yeah. It seems to me I met you someplace before, Mr. Costello. Oh, I don't think so. I never go to the zoo. <laughs> Get the 
kisser on this kid. Oh, now I remember you annoyed me one whole evening. I never even looked at you. Well, isn't that annoying? <laughs> and if I remember correctly, you winked at me with your good eye. <laughs> that one in the middle. Did, did I try to kiss you? No. Well, then it wasn't me. <laughs> Tell me, Costello, don't I do something to you? Yes. When I look at you, I turn gray as a sheet. Costello, I think you mean white as a sheet. Abbott, you ain't seen our laundry lately. <laughs> oh. Costello, why don't you like me? I've been told that I'm beautiful. Why, Lana Turner and I are sisters under the skin. Well, crawl back under the skin and send out Lana, kid. <laughs> oh, let me out of here. Goodbye. Well, Costello, what do you think of Miss uh, Fiddlebuster? Well, what do you think? I'll tell you what I think. Abbott, if you want to get me a date, why don't you ask Connie Haynes to go out with me? She's wonderful. I love her voice. Connie has a grand voice. Do you like her range? Like her range? I like her whole kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, I'll get you a date with Connie Haynes on one condition. You must promise not to kiss her, because if you kiss her, her mother will worry. Okay, Abbott, I won't kiss her. I'll let her kiss me. Let my mother worry. I mean, no wonder girls won't go out with you. Is that so? I know how to treat a girl, Abbott. First, I buy her flowers and candy. And then? Then I take her to a show, and then I take her to a cabaret. I spend seven or eight bucks. Then we walk along until we meet a sailor. And then what? Oh, I can always find my own way home. No. <laughs> well, Castell, I'm going to arrange for you to take Connie Haynes to a nightclub. But first, I must be sure you will conduct yourself like a gentleman. Uh, come with me. Where are we going? I'm going to put you through a complete course of social etiquette at the charm school. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Well, here we are at the charm school. What took us so long? <laughs> Give us music, will you? <laughs> bump, bump! That's it. All right. And I'm out of breath. Come on, we're here just the same. Oh, welcome, welcome to my school, gentlemen. I am Professor Melonhead. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I teach charm. Abbott, get me out of here. This guy couldn't charm a snake. Quiet, Costello. (laughs) Young man, I'll have you know that I do teach charm. Why, with that head, you should be teaching billiards. (laughs) Hand me a cue, Abbott, and I'll run snooker with his dome. No, no, no. Take it easy, Costello. Professor Melonhead is an expert at etiquette. I know he etiquette. You know what? I know he etiquette. You can see he etiquette. He's still got the tail on his upper lip. (laughs) Now, you quiet, you obese buffoon. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) My high forehead denotes intelligence, brains. My boy, that's where I shine. Well, why don't you take some of the shine off your head and put it on your shoes? (laughs) From behind your skull looks like an empty parking lot. (laughs) Costello, will you behave yourself? Now, tut, tut, let me handle him, Mr. Rabbit. I'll transform this boy into a perfect gentleman. Now, our first lesson here in charm is how to behave at home. Costello, what would you do when the butler enters the room? We ain't got no butler in my house. No butler? My dear boy, if you have no butler, how do you know when dinner is ready? When my mother takes the iron bars off the dining room door. (laughs) And then you eat. Not until she opens up the vault door to get you into the kitchen. (laughs) And then you eat. Then we eat because I'm filled up. Go ahead, continue. (laughs) All right, never mind that. Now, we'll say that you're already in the dining room. Now... What do you do with the crumbs at the table? Crumbs? Certainly. Don't you have crumbs at your table? Oh, yeah. Abbott comes once a week. <laughs> and you're welcome anytime. You can come. Oh, never mind. We'll, we'll skip the crumbs, Costello. Now, now, let's say that you have on your plate a slice of roast beef with gravy, some pickled beets, and a lovely portion of beans. Now, which fork do you use? 
I don't use no fork. No fork? No, I just slip my lower lip under the plate and bank the beans off the pickled beets. Oh. <laughs> That's fine. Now, we'll suppose, Costello, we'll suppose that you're in a very swanky continental bistro. Now, you walk Would in... Would you read that again, please? Oh, <laughs> you're in a swanky continental bistro. Excuse me, continue. <laughs> All right. You, you... <laughs> You saunter up to the bar with savoir faire and distingue. Now, how did I ever get mixed up with those characters? No. <laughs> That's the way you walk. Now, you order a liqueur. The waiter walks up and slips you a pussy cafe. <laughs> he wouldn't dare. <laughs> he hasn't got the nerve. <laughs> All right, now. Suddenly, at the next table behind you, you see a beautiful girl. <clears throat> uh, my assistant here will help us out by playing the part of the beautiful girl. <laughs> this is Mademoiselle Zing Zing. Zing Zing? Zing Zing. Zing 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 now, now, Costello, after the girl walks up in a very soigné manner, you approach Mademoiselle Zing Zing, and in perfect French, you say, Pardonne-moi, Mademoiselle, voulez-vous promenade du boulevard, rue Mamad, Bois de Bologna, et Champs-Élysées? I say that? Of course. And what does she say? She answers you in a lovely, melodious voice. Je vous ai, je vous aime, je vous adore. I'd like to meet you by the gas pipe. <laughs> Gee, that sounds swell. Petit mieux, poupou, petit premier. What does that mean? Hit the road, chunk. The big guy is my husband. <laughs> now, just a minute, Melonhead. You've gone too far. What's the matter, Costello? Well, I mean, after all, Abbott, I didn't mind it when this melon guy forced me to walk into a stanky confidential biscuit. I didn't say nothing when he pushed me onto that Savoy Ferry in a distinct way. I never said a word when he had the way to shove a pussycat's face in my hand. But when he makes me poo-poo petite marquis between that lovely girl and her husband, he has not only impued on my good name, but he has cast aspirations on the San Francisco Conference. <laughs> For Camel fans tonight, lovely Connie Haynes introduces a brand new song. It's Freddie Martin's latest composition, and this will be the first public performance of it anywhere. We hope you will like Hubba Hubba Hoy. Every time the lights are low And you start to kiss me, oh Whoa, boy A Hubba 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 Hoy Every time our fingers touch I begin to shake so much Whoa, boy A hubba, 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 hubba When you get that starry gaze My eyes begin to leave I go in a kind of daze And my heart starts to pound like a G the whole thing out Even in my sleep I shout Whoa, boy A hubba, 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 hubba 
every time our fingers touch I begin to shake so much Oh boy! joint. Costello, I've made a date with Connie Haynes to meet us here. And it's not a joint. It's, uh, it's the Ritz, a very high-class nightclub. Hey, Abbott, this place is a fake. They got a sign over there over the bar that says, ladies served here. Well? Well, I went over to the bar and ordered a lady and they threw me out. Oh. <laughs> Costello, I've met a lot of morons in my time, but your head and shoulders above all of them. Abbott, you must have met a bunch of short morons. No, never mind that. Did you bring uh, plenty of money with you? Oh, yes, I did. I'm loaded, Abbott. Right here in my pocket, I got four bucks, all in singles. If I fold one over, it'll look like five. Now, you, you mean you mean to say that you left the house with four dollars? Yeah. Aren't you afraid to carry that kind of money around with you? Well, at first you get kind of a funny feeling. You imagine everybody's looking at you. But you get used to it. The big trick is not to try to look nervous. Four dollars. Come on. Come on, sport. Let's go in and don't forget to tip the doorman. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Allow me to open the door for you. Oh, thank you, Mac. Here's a dime tip for you. Costello, how can you stand there and face that doorman after giving him a dime? I'm waiting for my change. Oh! <laughs> Come on! All right, Costello, there's a head waiter. Now, if you want a good table, closer to the dance floor, you'll have to give him a big tip. Good evening, gentlemen. Would you like a table? Oh, yes, my good man. We're heavy spenders. Here's a nice tip for you. But this is a quarter. Didn't you make a mistake, sir? I guess I did. I thought it was a nickel. Give me that back. Here you are. Five pennies. <laughs> this is an insult. Why, the champion tightwad of Hollywood gave me 50 cents. Well, meet the new champion. <laughs> Mr. Headwaiter, could you give us a nice ringside table? Oh, sure. Follow me. Hey, Abbott, I'm getting tired. <laughs> Can't we sit down here and rest for a few minutes? Not at that table. It's reserved. sign over there, Los Angeles City Limits. Here you are, gentlemen. Here's your table. On a clear day, you can see Catalina. <laughs> All right, Costello, you sit here, facing the dance floor. Okay, but I'm liable to catch coal with my back toward the ocean. Well? What was that? A Greyhound bus. I wondered why they had a white line running down the middle of the table. <laughs> Would you two mugs like to order some food? The roast beef is delicious. How much is it? It's four dollars a portion, but it's lovely roast beef. It will make your mouth water. That's what we want. Roast beef? No, water. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas, do you mind if I sit at your table? Just a minute, partner. Where are you from? I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. Chicago? Toledo. <laughs> 
Well, why don't you take the train and go home? Well, I would, but my wife won't let me keep it in the house. Aha! There you are, you cheapskate. Oh, yeah, you can't talk to me like that. Oh, no. I'll take care of you. Oh, oh, no! Oh, no! Hey, waiter, what's the idea of throwing that poor guy out like that? What's the idea? Yeah. Why, his bill was $76, and all the cheapskate had was $75.40. Imagine, imagine the nerve of him trying to get away with a thing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he certainly got a lot of nerve trying to get away with that. Yeah, but how much is our bill? Ah, uh, I don't know. We, we haven't got it yet. Oh, I beg your pardon. Are you like Lou Costello? That's me. Here's a telegram for you. Thanks. Hey, messenger girl, you forgot your motorcycle. Oh, so I did. She writes fast, don't she? Oh, boy. Hey, Abbott, here's a telegram. Look what it says. It's from Connie Haynes. What does she say? She says, Dear Mr. Costello, just arrived here at the club, and I'm on my way to your table. Expect to be there within the next hour or two. Hey, Abbott, we gotta stop Connie. We can't let her come in a place like this. It would cost her a fortune. Well, here we are, gentlemen. I thought maybe you'd like to pay your check. How much is the check, Abbott? Eighty-three dollars. Eighty-three dollars? Mm-hmm. And I only got four bucks? And the other guy was only sixty cents short? <laughs> Look what they did to him! Abbott, we gotta do something quick. Costello, this is your party, and you'll have to get out of it the best way you can. I got an idea. You offer to pay the check, and I'll give you an argument. Okay, I get you. Come on. Uh, Costello, I'll pay the check. No, no, Abbott. I couldn't think of letting you pay the check. But I insist on paying the check. You were not going to pay this check, Abbott. I'm going to pay it myself. I wish you'd let me pay it. Well, somebody better pay it. Mr. Waiter, does it make any difference to you who pays the check? It don't make any difference to me. I don't care who pays the check. Okay, here, Waiter. Pay it yourself. Come on, Abbott. Let's get out of here. We didn't, we didn't make, make it. it. <laughs> and now here are Bud and Lou with the final word. Well, Costello, the Andrews sisters are going to be our guests next week. Have you made any plans to entertain them? Oh, sure, Abbott. I thought I'd take them over to my house and cook up a batch of snoo. What's snoo? Nothing much. What's snoo with you? Oh, get them out of here. Good night, folks. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Yes, folks, be sure to tune in next week for another great Abbott and Costello show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, camels are worth asking for every time. See for yourself how camels' mildness, coolness, and flavor click with you. Look, mister, don't put your pet pipe in the doghouse just because it bites. Give it a chance. Because maybe that loyal old trusty pipe isn't to blame at all. Maybe all it needs is a happy load of Prince Albert. That smooth, swell-smoking tobacco with all the rich, full-bodied He-Man tobacco flavor left in and the bite taken out. 
Yes, sir, taken out by a special no-bite treatment that makes Prince Albert as gentle to your tongue as the sound of a dove cooing to its mate. Also, Prince Albert is crimp cut, which means firm, tidy packing, easy drawing, and even burning right down to the bottom of the bowl. And a bargain, say, just about 50 pipefuls per package. Saturday night, be sure to listen to Prince Albert's Grand Ole Opry for nearly 19 years, bringing the real authoritative American folk music and fun to southern radio audiences and now broadcast coast to coast. Remember Grand Ole Opry every Saturday night on NBC. The Abbott and Costello Show for Camel Cigarettes will be back at this very same time next week. Don't miss it. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Fred Allen Show. Dealers of America present the Fred Allen Show. The Fred Allen Show with Fred's guest, the new literary lion, Mr. James A. Farley, Portland Hoffa, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, this week a survey reported that the life expectancy of the average man is 62 and 6 tenths years. Tonight, we present an average man who hopes to live to be as old as his joke. He's Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. In Portland, what is this life expectancy business? What is that? The average man is supposed to live 62 years. Oh, that's silly. That's what Mama says. What? A man can't get his social security until he's 65. Well, if he only lives to be 62... The man will have to be dead three years before he can apply for a social security. <laughs> well, the, the Marshall Plan is better than that. How does that work? Well, to get money under the Marshall Plan, you have to be living, but not in this country. <laughs> Enough about life expectancy. What is our last expectancy for this evening? Oh, I have some clippings. Oh, clippings. Good. What's in the news? Last Sunday, Edgar Bergen's program wasn't on the air. No kidding. You mean that Edgar's listeners didn't have a chance to hear that singing jingle? A royal pudding. <laughs> Rich, 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 flavor. Smooth, 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 still. They didn't have a chance. Music lovers, no. jingle lovers didn't hear that. And eh? Jack Benny's program was off at the beginning, and he was cut off at the end, too. The beginning and the end were off, eh? Uh-huh. Now, if they can only find a way to do something about the middle of Benny's program. <laughs> radio will really be making progress, Portland. That Jack's going to England this summer. Yes, he's America's answer to C. Aubrey Smith. <laughs> oh, you're always picking on Jack. Why not? Benny is the only actor in Hollywood who has a burglar alarm on his garbage pail. <laughs> Jack lost Ronald Coleman's Oscar. I know that. Mrs. Levant called Benny up to see if he could do as much for her. 
tell me that's not libelous, is it? <laughs> is that libel? You're liable to get a letter from Oscar for that. <laughs> tell me, what uh, What else is new? They caught a man from New Jersey selling horse meat in New York. No kidding. How did they catch him? Somebody found a racing form in a beef stew. No kidding. <laughs> I had a steak one time. I think it came from a steeplechase horse. Why? Every time I stuck my fork in the steak, it jumped over the mashed potato. <laughs> and after that, I think I'll jump over the next two jokes, Portland, and start for Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, last week, the Ringling Brothers and Bonham and Bailey Mastodonic and Super Colossal Circus opened here at Madison Square Garden. And so our question naturally is, what did you like best about this year's edition of the circus? Shall we go? As the stocking said when the garter broke, there's nothing to hold me up. <laughs> well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. Say, I guess Senator Claghorn's in all right. His Ford is parked in the mule stall. The mule must be in the house putting on the feed bag with the senator. Well, let's knock. Somebody, I say somebody put the skin to my mansion. Oh, it's you, Jowl Eyes. Jowl Eyes? Now, wait a minute, Senator. Oh, your head looks lumpy, son. I can see you got something on your mind. Well, yes, Senator. Well, still it, son. I'm busier than a sinner's kneecap at a revival meeting. Uh, <laughs> you know, the baseball season opens in Washington tomorrow. I'm getting little old Harry in shape. Well, <laughs> is, the, is the president going to participate in the game? Oh, I sure is. This year, Harry will play ball with anybody. <laughs> Yeah, you know, he can't wait to throw that first ball out to the Washington team. Well, why? It'll be the first time this year the Senators have taken anything from Harry. <laughs> well, tell me, Senator, how do you think the baseball season is going to uh, turn out? Well, the Taft-Hartley Act is going to make it hard on umpires. The Taft-Hartley Act? Well, before an umpire can call a strike, he'll have to get out an injunction. <laughs> Well, look, tell me, Senator, what about the circus this year? Have you seen... Well, son, the circus ain't got nothing we ain't got down in Washington. You, uh... Take them clowns. We got more clowns in Washington than the circus ever seen. <laughs> and, uh, them Eubangies. We got politicians with bigger mouths than any Eubangie. Right. Take that juggler keeping 20 Indian clubs in the air. Congress has got the whole country up in the air. Well, what about the strong man, Senator? He carried 20 men on his back. Well, carrying 20 men ain't nothing, son. No? We got a man down in Washington named Stassen. A strong man? He just carried two states, Wisconsin and Nebraska. So long, oh, son. So long, Eddie. I wonder if Harold will put those down later. Well, let's see. Let's see if Mr. Moody is still around. Moody, bub. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Moody, what is your reaction to the circus this year? Oh, shucks. <laughs> circus, circus don't mean nothing to me. Uh, no? No. My whole family was circus folks. Oh, really? Uh, they were freaks, mostly. <laughs> My uncle Geek Moody. Geek Moody? Geek L. Moody. Yes. He was known as Jojo, the dog-faced boy. He, he was famous. Oh, yes, I've heard of Jojo. Uh, he used to pose for dog food ads. Pose? He posed, eh? Jojo was a man of distemper. Oh, <laughs> My aunt, 
Mona Moody. Yes. She traveled as Madame Lafarge. Oh, <laughs> Madame Lafarge, eh? She was a bearded lady. Oh. Well, how did your aunt become a bearded lady? Why, she was raised on goat's milk. Yeah. As a baby, she had a little goatee. <laughs> I see. I could see how that would develop. Yeah. But the time she went to the circus, Mona was sure hairy. She was hairy, eh? Her face looked like the elbow of a raccoon court. <laughs> well, what, are, what other relatives did you have with the circus? Well, my brother, Bunch Moody, he was a duck impersonator. A duck impersonator, eh? But things got bad and he disappeared. He took his feathers and his webbed feet and disappeared completely? Yeah. There was only one trace. The duck impersonator? He left a big bill at the hotel. <laughs> but tell me, have you, have you yourself ever been with the circus, Titus? Oh, once when I was a boy, but I got fired. Fired? What happened? Why, my job was feeding Jumbo, the elephant. Yeah. After two months, Jumbo lost 400 pounds. He want nothing but skin and tusks. Well, how come? I, I was nearsighted. Nearsighted? For two months, I was leaving the elephant's hay at the wrong end. <laughs> the elephant's hay at the wrong end? Yeah. Jumbo was starving to death. Uh-huh. But he was setting pretty. So long, though. This is too much for me. Let's uh, let's uh, try this next door. Hi, Jeffy. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. How do you feel about the circus this year? I am going with Mr. and Mrs. Epstein. Oh, the Epsteins, eh? He is in the fur business, a big squeeze. Oh, in the fur business. Well, tell me, what uh, what happened at the circus? First, we are seeing the Siamese twins, two girls. Girls, Siamese twins? Standing in front is a big crowd, and everybody's guessing. Guessing what? Which Siamese twin is having the Tony permanent? <laughs> well, after... <laughs> After viewing the twins... We are seeing the animals until is happening the accident. Oh, say, what, what caused the accident? Well, Mrs. Epstein is wearing, why not, her husband is in the fur business, a leopard coat. Oh, I, I see. Passing the leopard's cage, Mrs. Epstein is looking first on her coat, next on the leopard. Uh-huh. And she is saying, for this I am marrying. Yeah. <laughs> Epstein is saying, what now? What now? Pointing to the leopard, Mrs. Epstein is saying, an animal is wearing a better fur coat than Lulu Bell Epstein. <laughs> so Mr. Epstein is saying, your coat with connections I'm buying wholesale. Yeah? Who does a leopard know he could buy wholesale a skin? I see. With this, Mrs. Epstein is pouting. She's pouting, eh? Mr. Epstein is saying, the leopard is a phony. His skin is imitation. I will prove it. Being in the business. Through the cage, Mr. Epstein is reaching in the hand to feeling by the leopard the skin. Yes. Oh, there is a shriek. A shriek? What happened? You are eating with the circus of the great Eunice. Oh, the fellow who balances himself on only one finger? One finger. You mean the great Eunice? He is formerly Mr. Epstein. <laughs> That brings us to Mr. Cassidy, Shanty. Well, let's stop for a minute or so with Ajax. Here, 
Hey, <laughs> Jax, hey, have you been to the circus yet? Ah, don't mention circus to me. The opening matinee, I took my little nephew, Cosmos O'Shaughnessy. Cosmos O'Shaughnessy? Oh, sure, he's a human wildcat. Really? Well, to keep Cosmos from disrupting the circus, I bought him a box of Cracker Jacks, and I held him firmly by his sticky hand. You walked around holding little Cosmos by the hand. Well, only once I let go. When was that? Well, I was passing a big cage, you see. Yeah. And outside it said Gargantua. Gargantua? Well, I looked in the cage, and this gentleman was in there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I said to myself, says I, Gargantua? He looks like an uncle of mine, Mullet Muldoon. <laughs> Mullet Muldoon, eh? Says I, hello, Mullet. But he just sat there cracking peanuts between his toes. Well, it must have been gargantua. Unless Mullet was playing possum. Let's possum. <laughs> well, after this episode... So I, I reached out and I took little Cosmos again by the hand. I see. And I looked down. Glory be! What? Be the hand instead of holding little Cosmos O'Shaughnessy with his box of cracker jacks. Yes? I'm holding a midget, a little wrinkled one. A wrinkled well, What did you do? Well, the circus was over. What could I do? You took the midget home? I explained the circumstances to Mr. and Mrs. O'Shaughnessy. Yes? He took a shine to the midget. Uh-huh. And the midget took a shine to the O'Shaughnessy. No, yes. there was blessings all around. Well, what happened to little Cosmos? Uh, if you happen to visit the circus. Yes? And you see a midget with a sticky hand eating cracker jack. Yes? You're looking at Cosmos O'Shaughnessy. Well, tell me, Ajax, how did you personally like the circus? Ah, uh, me boy, they call it the biggest show on earth. To me, it is the d biggest disappointment on earth. Disappointment? The circus? All that sawdust on the floor and you can't buy a drink in the place. Good night. And now, from the circus, we turn to our musical sideshow. The five DeMarco sisters and maestro Al Goodman and his big top band combined to give us Tooly Ooly Dooly. Girls? <laughs> Gentlemen. Hey, Fred. Yes, Kenny. Do you have a minute to help me? I'm writing a love poem. A love 
love. Kenny, why waste time writing a love poem? Call the girl up, reverse the charges, and tell her how you feel about it. <laughs> yeah, but my, my, I know what my poem isn't about a girl. Not about what sort of a dactyl is it? Well, then? I'll read it. Listen. Roses are red, violets are blue, Ford's love Ford service, and so will you. What's wrong with that? It starts off swell. Yeah, I know. It's just the next couplet is where I need help. Oh, well. I can't seem to rhyme genuine Ford parts, special equipment, Ford train mechanics, and factory-approved methods. Now, let me... That takes a bit of doing, but I may be able to handle it <laughs> pending the arrival of Superman. Let me see. <laughs> special equipment. You need a rhyme special... Say, I have it, Kenny. How is this? Special equipment and Ford train mechanics... Stop service worries, eliminate panics. Ah, that's great, Fred. Great, yeah. and I have a sock finish. Get this. Your Ford is never nervous when you bring it home for service. How was that, Fred? Well, you want the truth, Kenny. Yeah. It was all right, but you will never be the Edgar Guest of tomorrow. Well, <laughs> maybe not, Fred, but at least my poem tells why the best service from start to finish is designed to cost less at your friendly Ford dealer. Yes, it does. It does do that. You have just heard a minute or two from Now is the Hour. Played by Maestro Al Goodman and 25 men who, if their instruments were taken away, would look like the police lineup. And now, say, uh, say, Portland. Yes? Will you help me arrange uh, these chairs around the table here, please? Uh, we're having a literary discussion tonight. Have you found the book? Oh, I have a book, uh, an author, and a brace of critics. Oh, who is the author? Mr. James A. Foley. Who is Mr. James A. Foley? Who is Mr. James A. Foley? He is only one of the most famous figures in American political life. Why, Mr. Foley's new book is sweeping the country. It's number two on the best-seller uh, list as of today. Has it been bound in Boston yet? <laughs> No, only in Maine and Vermont. <laughs> I'm uh, looking forward to this tonight, Portland. This is going to be some dis uh, discussion. What a night for the literati. Yes, and for the people who, who uh, can read, too. <laughs> there go. Well, Portland, I guess we're all set. Let's start our book program. Presenting The Author Meets His Match. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is your moderator, that popular literary figure, the man who knew Random House when it was just a Quonset hut, <laughs> Mr. Frederick Allen. Thank you, and good evening, fellow bookworms. Tonight, as usual, our program is unrehearsed, unprepared, and uncalled for. <laughs> the book up for discussion this evening is Jim Farley's Story, written by the Honorable James A. Farley. We have a brilliant panel of literary giants assembled this evening. I'm going to ask the critics to introduce themselves. Now, first... I am Dr. Wolfgang Holstein. <laughs> you are a psychiatrist, Dr. Holstein? Yeah, so my office is in Central Park. In Central Park? Yeah, instead of a couch, my patients lay down on a bench. Well, how can patients find you in Central Park? Uh, simple. You come in from 6th Avenue, and on the left, you are looking behind a bush and whistling. You are behind the bush? I am dressed like a doctor. I am wearing a white coat and white pants. Oh, I see. In between patients, I sell good humor. How <laughs> 
Doctor, do you, uh, do you by any chance have a literary background? Oh, so I, I am writing a book now on psychiatry. Oh, a book? It is called From Neurosis to Halitosis. <laughs> Good. Uh, the, the bookmark is a package of sen <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Holt. You're welcome. Now, our next critic... I am Prudence Paddleford. And you, uh, Miss Paddleford? I am the literary consultant and hostess in charge of tea bags for the Rexall Drugstore. <laughs> you, uh, you review the books before they go on sale at your chain of drugstores? Yes, I select books that will help the sale of our merchandise. Well, just how do you mean that, Miss Paddleford? Well, for example, when we're having a sale of soap, we display Captain from Castile. <laughs> When we have a special on umbrellas, we feature Raintree County. Very good. Yes. And when we displayed Bob Hope's book, yes. we were introducing Airwick. Well, now... <laughs> thank you, thank you, Miss Paddle. But are now the international celebrity. I am Sergei Stroganov from the Soviet Union, literary correspondent for the world's outstanding daily newspaper, Pravda. You, uh... I am the sworn enemy of yellow journalism, bourgeois music, and things in general. <laughs> Mr. Stroganoff, you are a critic. All my life I have been a critic. That is why I'm in America today. Well, why? I criticize something in Russia. <laughs> Mr. Stroganoff, how do you feel about American books? Americans, bah! They are all capitalists. The only books the Americans are reading are bank books. <laughs> will hold you, plutocrat. Well, thank you, Mr. Stroganoff. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our distinguished author of the evening. I am James A. Farley. <laughs> Mr. Farley, you are the author of Jim Farley's story. I am. Tell me, how did you come to write about yourself? In politics, Mr. Allen, that's the safest thing to do. The, uh... <laughs> the safest? You better write about yourself before somebody else does. Well, will you tell us something about your book, Mr. Farley? I'd be glad to. Jim Farley's story is a sort of a record of my life in politics. Over 35 years of service in the Democratic Party. Well, at what point in your life, uh, Mr. Farley, did you first suspect that you would join this party? When I was a baby, my parents knew I would grow up to be a Democrat. Well, how? A Republican politician who was running for office came around kissing babies. Yes. When he bent over my crib to kiss me... Yes? I bit him on the nose. <laughs> and? Biting that Republican was my first service to the Democratic Party. Thank you, Mr. Farley. There, ladies and gentlemen, you have our brilliant lineup for tonight. Our author, Mr. James A. Farley, versus our three astounding critics. And now, critics... Oh, excuse me, please. Uh, yes, Dr. Holstein? Uh, Mr. Farley is a very interesting psychological case. Well, how, how do you mean that, Doctor? Well, as a baby, he bit a man on the nose. Yes? This is a sign of frustration. <laughs> the, the baby could not bite his own nose, so he bit somebody else's nose. <laughs> You Americans always, you're sticking your noses into somebody else's business. In Russia, everybody has his nose to the grindstone. It looks terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of noses, give your nose a treat. Let it smell the perfume on sale at Rexall. Ah, you see, I told you. Now Rexall is putting their business in everybody's noses. <laughs> Critics, we are here to discuss Mr. Farley's book. 
Mr. Farley, I've heard you on several radio programs recently speaking about your book in uh, glowing terms. Yes, Mr. Allen, I've appeared with the Fitzgeralds, Mary Marguerite McBride, Dorothy and Dick, and author meets the critic. Radio in America, bah! In Russia, the real radio. What program? The masses go the shopping. Life <laughs> can be brutal. And Comrade Linklater's program, people are Bolsheviks. That's radio. <laughs> Excuse me, please. Uh, yes, yes, please, Dr. Holstein. Yes, Dr. Holstein. I had a patient once who was on the radio. He was a sound man. A sound man? Yeah. All he did was open and close door. Yes. After five years, he thought he was a door. <laughs> this man thought he was a door? Yeah. He took the buttons off his vest and had a knob sewed on. <laughs> He went around knocking himself. Doctor, did you did you cure this patient? Oh, absolutely, yeah. He he no longer thinks he's a door. No, today he thinks he's a window. <laughs> he goes with his vest pulled up. He thinks he's open. Oh, oh uh, yes, it is very. Speaking of radio, Rexall carries a complete stock of radios. And remember, if there's no Rexall drugstore in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood is no neighborhood. It's a wilderness. In America, that's a wilderness. Siberia is a wilderness. Your brain is a wilderness. Who needs you? Dr. Holstein, please, if you will, control yourself, doctor. I, uh, I must remind you, critics, we're here to discuss Mr. Farley's book. Now, Mr. Farley, would you tell us, please, some of the uh, highlights of Jim Farley's story? Well, I think one of the most exciting days of my life was the day I was appointed Postmaster General. Postmaster General! That is capitalism. A general can't make enough money being a general. He's got to be a postmaster on the side. Mr. Farley, excuse me. Yes, Dr. Holstein. Uh, you said you were the Postmaster General? Yes, I was appointed in 1933. Yeah, so in 1933, I mailed out a bill to one of my patients. <laughs> The patient never paid me. He says he never got the bill. But what does that concern me, doctor? Well, did you ever have a letter left over in your mailbag? <laughs> I didn't deliver... I didn't deliver the mail, doctor. I was the postmaster general. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Dr. Holstein, did you put a stamp on that letter in 1933? I... Oh, a stamp? I knew I forgot something. <laughs> Stamps remind me. Mm. You make a stamp with your tongue. This week, Rexall is featuring a delicious tongue sandwich. As we say at Rexall, our tongue sandwich speaks for itself. Yeah, this is America. Only a sandwich can speak. A man can't open his mouth. Oh, your mouth, you don't say nothing. That's all you say. Open your mouth. Your One more outburst, and I'll adjourn this discussion. I'm sorry, Mr. Farley. Getting back to your book. Today in the New York Times, I noticed that Jim Farley's story is second on the bestseller list. How do you account for that? Well, Mr. Allen, this is an election year. Probably everybody is interested in politics. Yeah, Mr. Farley, as a psychiatrist, I would say that politics, politics is the most... Politics is bourgeois propaganda. Strong enough, I was talking... Talking, talking, always talking. the only honest politics. We are having the secret ballot. The secret ballot? The Communist Party and the other party. What is the other party? That is the secret. <laughs> 
Why should a big mark like you keep now, a secret? Any... Quiet, please. In your you book, don't... Mr. Farley, Mr. Yeah. Farley, in your book, do you deal with any other subject or do you confine yourself to politics? Well, I mentioned of my business association with the Coca-Cola Company. Yeah, you know, that is most interesting, Mr. Farley. I once had a patient who thought he was a Coca-Cola bottle. A Coca-Cola bottle? Yeah, every time he returned himself to my office, I had to give him a nickel back on himself. <laughs> happened to this patient who thought he was a bottle of Coca-Cola? He blew his top. <laughs> the top drink is vodka and Coca-Cola. In each glass, we are putting two bear's feet. Two bear's feet? Those are the paws that refresh us. That may be a joke, but Rexall's service is no joke. You are a joke. I'm laughing on you. Yeah, hyenas is always laughing. Touche, Doctor. Hyena, he says. They're calling me a hyena. Are you listening, Joe? Sorry, Mr. Farley. Mr. Farley, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with your book. I don't want to be an old spoil sport, Mr. Allen, but something tells me that none of your critics has read my book. Well, I'll soon find out, critics. Have you read Mr. Farley's book? No. No. This is indeed embarrassing, Mr. Farley. No one on the panel, apparently, has read Jim Farley's story. If we could get a few copies of the book in a hurry... I can take care of that. Well, this is Sunday, Mr. Farley. The bookstores are all closed. Fortunately, I always carry a suitcase full of books with me. Wait until I open this case. But, Mr. Farley... Step right up, folks. Get your copy of Jim Farley's story. Mr. Farley. $3.50, complete with jacket and bookmark. Mr. Farley. You say Jim Farley's story ain't enough? Tell you what I'm going to do. Now, wait a minute. Get away, boys. You bother me. Here you are, folks, with every copy of Jim Farley's story. I'm giving you more points than... Thank Mr. James A. Farley for joining us tonight and Mr. Jack Eigen for tuning us in. Thank you and good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night is Jack Benny followed by the Aldridge family. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.